let's jump into it and go into the message now. One of the best stories in the Bible that shows this is uh, found, let me read it to you, in the book of uh, Mark, chapter 3. Now, first going and reading Mark, chapter 16, this builds in the point there. It says, and these things, these these signs, in Mark 16, 17, it says, these signs will follow them that believe. All right? That means there, are, there should be significant evidence that you're just not going to heaven, but that you're a believer. By the way you deal with life, by the way life deals with you, and how different you handle things than the world does. And the signs of that lifestyle that you live as a believer should be road signs and markers showing unbelievers how to get where you're at. And that is the purpose of the more abundant, the life fulfilled. But the problem is most believers or most Christians get comfortable being Christians and quit striving to be believers. So they live a life as a Christian, but there's not much difference than the world. You, you still deal with marital issues. You still deal with financial issues. still deal with sickness the same way. You still deal with all of these things that God has abundantly available. So our purpose as being saved should be that we start striving to be and live the life of a believer versus a church member, a Christian, just somebody that maybe has a better final destination than the person you work with. I'm telling you, there should be a stark difference. And in Mark chapter 3, this is kind of where the Lord started dealing with me on several months ago. And it said this, it says, in verse 1, it says, And he entered the synagogue again, which when I preach a message, I get tied up on just those little statements like that. They catch me. That word again is very important. Jesus was a church attender. It's pretty cool, isn't it? You know, it says again, he went to church again. And if you actually read this story in Luke chapter 6, if you start in Luke chapter 6, verse 1, it says, and Jesus went to the synagogue on Sunday. And then when you get to verse 9, it says, and Jesus went to church on Sunday again. Meaning that church was a regular pattern in the life of Jesus. I want you to know something. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He don't, Jesus is still coming to church. He's here today. The Bible says where two or three are gathered together in his midst, there he will be in his name, there he will be in the middle of it. Jesus has never quit coming to church. And a lot of times as Christians, we don't understand that the importance of encounters with Jesus. So we think church can be casual. You can come twice a month and still live the life of a believer. But I'm here to tell you, you can't live the life of a believer without encounters with Jesus on a regular basis. That's why he said this. He said, some miracles only come about by prayer and fasting. What prayer and fasting is, is ways to get closer to Jesus. And so every time I miss an opportunity, or every time I don't take advantage of a chance to get closer to Jesus, I'm giving up and taking opportunities not to live the life that Jesus has desired and called and gives me the opportunity to live. You say, Greg, you're being legalistic. No, I'm a believer. And I'm a firm believer that if I can't fix it, then I need Jesus to. 
And whatever if they can Jesus can. And the problem is never a Jesus problem. The problem is, am I getting to Jesus so he can? And so it says, and Jesus went to church again. All right. There at church, he begins to describe this experience that is taking place when he's at church. And I love how it design, he, he lays out the definition or draws the picture of the church they attended. All right. It says, and a man was there with a withered hand. And so it's telling me the kind of attenders that attended the church that Jesus went to. And there were sick people there. There were people that were lacking. People that had issues. People that were, you know, um, not what you would say um, uh, they were uh, in great need or deficient. I'm so glad that the church has place for people that are deficient. But I'm here to tell you, the church should not be a place people stay deficient. And this guy in this church... He was obviously at the right place at the right time, doing the right thing, but yet his hand was still withered. I've looked in my life a lot of times where, as a believer, I call myself a believer, but there are areas of my life that are deficient to what I believe God wants them to be. And I'm telling you this, any area of your life that is lacking, falls short, or comes up deficient in your life that you believe God wants to be different, He does. You say, well, how can you say that, Cricket? Because the Bible says God gives you the desires of your heart. If your heart desires for an area of your life to be different, then it's the will of God for Him to do that for you. Does that make sense? Am I I, I connecting correctly? If I desire a better marriage... It's God's will for my marriage to be better. If I desire financial security, it is God's will for me to be financially secure. If I desire to be healthy, it is God's desire for me to be healthy. The problem is, see, we can, a lot of people understand and realize that God puts desires in people's hearts, but they find themselves in the same shape as this guy in that church that day. His heart was full of things. You can imagine, you know, the way it describes him, it says it was a man there with a withered hand. And so it brought into focus his deficiency in life. It didn't call him a man with one good hand, which that would have been true as well, but it called him a man with deficiencies in life. And when Jesus walked in, the Bible said this, he was the first one he recognized. Why would Jesus have recognized this guy. In the story, if you read on down, there were multiple people in that church. A bunch of religious people. Because it says, and the religious guys were sitting there waiting to judge Jesus to see if he was going to heal on the Sabbath. You know, how foolish is that? Guys were going to see if Jesus was going to heal on the Sabbath when they couldn't even heal Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. They were going to judge Jesus. For, and there's a lot of people in here today that honestly came to church to see what Jesus was going to do but they didn't come expecting Jesus to do it. You're hoping he's going to come up and have a revival in this place today, but man, I don't know if he will, so I'm just going to sit back and see and just hope that he changes my situation. But the first person that Jesus paid attention to, is that doesn't say, because you can read it, it says, and he entered the synagogue and the man with the withered hand was there. That's the first one he saw. 
That's the first one that the disciples noticed. Was there's this guy with the withered hand, which I'm glad. And I, I got to be honest with you, I don't know if he was the first attender that day. I don't think he was by the laying out of this, the scenario because the religious guys there were there watching. When Jesus came in, they were going to watch to see if, they did, if he was a first-time visitor. I don't believe they would have been expecting Jesus to heal him like they were. They were going to judge Jesus for it. I think he'd been there every week, and they were waiting for Jesus to show up to heal him so they could judge Jesus. You know, and so the truth is, it's like a lot of churches nowadays, and it's like it's been my life a lot of times. I go to church, but a lot of times in my life, there's areas that are deficient, and I attend church. I'm a church here. I'm a Christian, all that. But I get been this way for so long in so many areas that I get to where it's just normal being messed up. Being normal, having the deficiencies in my life that were there before I came to know Jesus or joined a church or got saved. And just now the only difference is when I die, I'm going to heaven. But I still got a bad marriage, or I still got poor finances, or I'm still battling health issues, or I'm still battling depression, I'm still battling, you know, anger, and I'm, there's no difference. And I believe Jesus mentioned this guy first, because when you walk into a room and you're looking around a room, usually you notice what's out of place first. Like, you know, when you walk in and everybody's wearing a black shirt, one guy's wearing an orange shirt. You're like, you noticed that first. I believe they noticed the guy with the withered hand because that was strange to Jesus. That there's a church member that's been a member for a while still living in the condition that he came in the door with. And I believe that Jesus came there that day. I believe he was so shocked that some Christians continued to live the life of an unbeliever and when I say unbelief, I'm not saying out in the world. I'm just not believing that God can do what He says He'll do for you. And so you get comfortable sitting in a church service doing the right stuff, but yet living a lower level of life than God intended you to live. And so I'm here to tell you that you don't have to do that anymore. I'm here to tell you that God can bless you. God can heal you. God can deliver you. God, and the truth is... God will. It's not just a can anymore. God will. God will. Like Pastor Stephen preached last week, though, it's that moment of transformation is called what we title a moment of revival. An area of your life that is withered, but God restores back to new. Yeah, and so I see this guy, he probably was going through life and he probably had some friends that probably one day a friend asked him to help move. And he thought, you know what? I would love to, man. You're my buddy. I'd love to go help you move. But, man, I can't be much here because I've only got one hand. Or he probably thought at times, you know, he saw friends, you know, playing basketball. And it's hard to play basketball one-handed. You can do it, but it's tough. You're probably the last one to get picked. But it's tough. You can probably do it. But he probably had guys at school that are getting picked for basketball teams. And he was the last one getting picked because they had one hand. And, he wanted to play so bad, but you know his physical limitations wouldn't allow him. Or he had friends that had businesses that were booming and financially changing things in their life. And he wanted to do that, but with one hand, he was limited. And I'm here to tell you that God doesn't want your limitations to stay limitations in your life. Because if it's in your heart, God put it there. The problem is, see, when God made the human anatomy, 
And he designed us the way he did. It's unique how he made us. And the way we're made is all, you know, uh, specifically designed. But what's cool is a man's heart, if it's healthy, should be the size of his hand. Did you know that? And if your heart's too big, you, you got issues. If your heart's too small. But a normal size, a healthy heart should be the size of hand. But the problem is most believers are living a life with a lot in their heart, but their hand can't carry it. There's been a lot of times in my life that God has put all this on the inside of my heart, but because of the limitations in my life, I couldn't fulfill them or carry them out because I was just like this guy. I was saved, church attender, but I couldn't carry with my hand what God has put in my heart. So my heart was bigger than my hand. So I walked around with no better word to say than with the heart disease. Because... The Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. When the visions of God that He's put on the inside of your heart are bigger than what your physical limitations can carry out, you need the presence of God at work on your behalf to turn that situation around. You need to know this. You're never going to be fulfilled in this life without the presence of God causing the limitations in your life to be able to carry the vision that God's put in your heart. Your heart and your hands should equalize out. Your heart and your hands should be able to carry the same thing. Your heart and your hands should be able to fulfill. The Bible says, I will bless everything that you lay your hand to. These are a sign that follow them that believe. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Your heart and your hand are to be the same according to the purpose of God in your life. But the truth is a lot of believers will sit in, or a lot of Christians will sit in church with a heart full but okay with a withered hand. And that is not the will of God for you. And that's what you find and that's what you would define a church without revival. A bunch of Christians in a church where they have more in their heart than their hands can carry. You say, well, Cricket, how do we turn this around? I am so glad you guys asked this question because that's what I brought a notebook full of, of answers for you today. All right? So this is what it says. I'm going to go through and then I'm going to jump into a, uh, I'm 80, I'm going to go to a total different rabbit trail, but I'm going to tell you the plan that God's laid out for this guy, how to get what was in his heart to be able to be carried by his physical hand. Amen? How many of you guys got things in your heart? You you know God has put there for your marriage, for your job, for your finances, for your health. You've got them in your heart, but there's physical limitations in your natural life that you seem to not be able to carry them. You're just desiring those things to come about, but you can't see how they could ever actually be handled. I'm telling you, God's got a plan. And so the Bible says the first thing Jesus did was he went and he got the guy and got him out of his seat. This is very important because... The idea of revival is God springing forth life again in areas that are deficient than what God's will for your life is. But I'm here to tell you this too. This guy's probably, I'm just going to jump to conclusions because I parallel myself with this guy a whole lot. This guy could have been a church member for 30 years, sitting in his seat that he's been sitting in for 30 years, doing church the way he's been doing church for 30 years, but nothing has changed the deficiencies in his natural life, but his heart saved. For we know he loved God. He was at church. 
And to go to church back then, man, you had to love God. I've read how they did it. That's tough stuff. You know what I'm saying? But it, uh, he was actually there, and his, he'd gotten okay with it being shriveled. So God said, first thing i got to do is i got to get you out of your comfort zone. It's amazing how you can be saved and the enemy can get you to get comfortable sitting in the same seat every Sunday and worshiping God the same way every week and you know, walking through the motions of worship and praise and sincerely meaning it from your heart, but there being no physical evidence that anything in your life is changing. And I believe a lot of that has to do with how we get comfortable being Christians. We get comfortable sitting in the same seat. I tell you, you get in a fight with some people about where they sit at church. I mean, I, I do it on purpose in El Dorado. I got a text this morning when I was driving there. Man, somebody came in and moved all the chairs around in the sanctuary. I sent back and said, yeah, I did that last night. What did everybody say? I just wanted to hear what they were going to say. I shift them chairs out because I don't want people. We're in a desperate cry for revival right now. And I don't want people getting comfortable sitting in the seat they've been sitting in for six months. Because if, if they do nothing in their life at all different, then they can expect nothing in their life to change. Because, see, God had to get him out of where he was sitting, get him out of what he's been doing, get him out of the state of thinking that he was okay being broke and move him into a position that he was very uncomfortable. The reason why I know he was very uncomfortable because it says he moved him up front of everybody. And the thing about people with deficiencies is we like to be comfortable when we can't let people see them. We try to hide the deficiencies in our life. The areas that maybe aren't right where they should be or the way they should be. We want people, we put on some nice clothes and dress up. We want people to think we got it together. But the truth is, we all know you're hiding something somewhere that's broken. And Jesus pulled this dude up front, put him up front where everybody could see the deficiency. And I'm going to be honest with you, that's tough. That's a very tough place to be in. But I found in my own life a lot of times... What I like to do is, I got these deficiencies, so from the back, or in my prayer closet, or in my alone time with God, I'm like, God, if, yeah, I want you to bless this, I'm believing you're going to bless this, you're going to bless this, so that when you do, I can tell everybody about it. We want God to fix our deficiencies in the back. Then we will get up in the front and show everybody what He's done. But I'm here to tell you, that's not how God gets glory. That's how we do. God gets glory when we go up broken and people see God do the difference. So you may be comfortable sitting where you're sitting and being saved like you're saved. But I'm here to tell you there's more available for you. But it's going to take you getting to a place of uncomfortability or whatever you were that I made that one up. I might use that one later for something. Uncomfortableness so that people can see God do God's will is to do in your life. And it takes you being willing to get up front and let people see Him do it. And then He said this. He said, can I... I know y'all are teenagers. Uh, is there one of y'all brave? you come up here and help me. Somebody got to. Right. Ethan, I mean, Colin will. Come here, Colin. He'll help me. Jesus got in. See, you see how difficult that was? 
to get you off the second row. And I'm proud of you guys on the second row. But me just trying to move you up front was difficult. And that's what keeps a lot of believers from living the life of a believer is because, man, there's that break over, that barrier that we hit that we're comfortable just so far. But when God has something more available for us, you're going to have to be willing to step over that threshold and get to a place of uncomfortability. <laughs> That's a weird word there, but, all right, so this way, I want him to see what... He got him out of his seat. And you were on the front row. And it's weird you being right here, but exactly the picture this story draws. He pulled him up and put him in front of everybody. All right? And when he got him in front of everybody, this was what Jesus said. Jesus didn't touch him. Jesus didn't spit on him. And Jesus done that before. He touched people. He spit on their eyes. I mean, dirt put on their... Jesus was a touchy-feely guy. But Jesus did not touch this man because this man's limitations wasn't because God needed to do it. It was because this man needed to do something so that God could. And this is what he said. And he said it in detail. Jesus looked at him and said, Now, stretch out your hand. And he used the word out, so that means he didn't do this. That would have been what? Stretch up. He said stretch out. So in this scenario, if I'm standing here and I got you in front of me, and I tell you to stretch out your hand, what would you do? All right? You would reach toward me. And that's the secret of the sauce of the life of a believer. Anywhere that you're deficient, Jesus is saying this. One, I need people to see my glory. So you need to quit hiding in the back with this thing. And you get desperate enough to get out and uncomfortable. Then he said this, the reaching toward me is what makes the miracle take place. The closer and the harder and the more you reach toward Jesus, the more power is released into your life to do what you could not do before. And so every opportunity I take to reach toward Jesus, it brings my life to the place where my natural will align with the supernatural of what God's put in my heart. Jesus didn't have to grab him, shake him, touch him. As he reached toward Jesus, his hand kept getting closer and closer than it had ever been before until it was completely made whole like God's will had desired for him to be. And he turned around and walked back to his seat, living and looking and able with the ability to do everything God had created him to do and live. Amen? Now you can go back to your seat. Do you get this point? All right, we had to get that point before we can go what we're going to. We don't got but just a couple minutes. But why is that the secret to revival? Is because of what God says He is. The Bible says that God calls Himself several things, but one of the things that God calls Himself, He says it in Hebrews um, chapter 12, verse 29. He says this, that God is an all-consuming fire. An all-consuming fire. And the picture of revival all the way through church history and even into the the birth of the church on the day of Pentecost, the picture of revival was demonstrated and revealed as fire. The disciples, Peter couldn't quit cussing, Peter couldn't quit cutting, Peter couldn't quit, you know, trying to put himself above everybody. Peter was just a horrible Christian, all right? 
But the Bible says he was in a revival service one night in an upper room. And I don't know if it was night, but we know they were there multiple nights because it was 10 days. The Bible says that when the Holy Spirit came in, it set on their heads as tongues of fire. What God has drawn all the way through his picture of the Bible is that he's a consuming fire. And if we as Christians would get the understanding that the closer we get to the fire, the more like his will for our life we become. And if I got an area of my life that's deficient, but I've been doing right according to what you know, Christians do, my, the problem is not a God problem. I need to position myself in a place that I can reach closer to Jesus than I have ever reached before. Because, see, there's a problem with catching fire a lot of times. Right? And I got a fire starter because you all know my roots as a children's pastor. Right? But like these guys, these guys are on the second row. You guys are all on the second row, and that's awesome. But if God were here today, which He is, and He starts throwing down fire, like we call revival, in this place today. Here, I'm going to throw you some, and I want you to catch one. You ready? Man, I'm putting that right in your lap. All right, here, you try. I'm going to throw you some. Just catch one. You got to catch it. That's what, that's what takes time. I'm just going to draw this out real quick. But that's what it takes time. A lot of you guys came here today with the deficiency in your natural life that does not align with what the will of God says that a believer's life could be. You came here knowing that God is the solution, that revival and transformation can take place in here today. And our job is to get ourselves in the right place, and then it is God to throw down the spark. But the thing about it is you're waiting on God to throw down the spark, but God don't throw down the spark. Do you know what God is? God is an all-consuming fire. So we don't got to wait on God to throw a spark. He's already burning. The job is not that you need God to touch you. The problem is you need to get yourself to a place where you can touch God. And when you get yourself to a place where you can touch God, God is an already on fire and He will consume that area of your life that you've not been able to cause to transform and move to the next level instead of us just sitting around and waiting for God to flick something your way. Now, this is the truth. That I could walk around and flick fire all day long. But where you're sitting and what you have will not catch this flame. Because there's a process that takes place when it comes to building a fire. And that process is exactly what Jesus did to this guy to cause a miracle to take place. First of all, he removed the comforts. Attribute about fire is this. It's consuming. And whether you know it or not, something is consuming you. You were created... And you were saved to be consumed by the all-consuming fire of God. But I can hang around with somebody for just a little while and I can tell what's eating them up. Because what they got come out of their mouth and what's consuming them. and what, I mean, they're so bothered and bitter and upset about he said, she said, or don't have. My thing is this. If something's going to consume you and devour you and eat you up, man, you can either let what the world has to offer do it Or you can be willing to move into an uncomfortable position and let God do it. And when God consumes you, 
He also consumes all the things about your life that bother you. Like the bitterness on the inside, He'll consume that. The worry, the fear, He'll consume that. The problem is you have to get consumed by Him instead of letting everything else consume you. So how do you do that? Well, you move yourself into a place to be able to catch the fire, right? So back in my children's age, we would have this. This is called muslin. Let me dig around and find it. I'm going to pull a rabbit out of there in a minute. All right, but this is muslin, unbleached muslin. It's cloth that doesn't have dye, doesn't have, it's cotton, it's made. It's just as basic a cloth as you can buy. And the awesome thing about this cloth is it will catch fire. The thing about it is, all right, I'm going to let you hold this. Now I'm going to throw a fire your way, okay? You can't. Right? But it didn't catch. See, to get this at work in your life, first of all, you have to understand you're called to the life of a peril, uh, pyrotech, uh, pyromaniac. What a pyromaniac is, is someone that's consumed with the desire for something to be on fire. It's a thought pattern and a trained thinking response. You got to first want to be on fire, to get on fire. God's just not going to burn nobody up. So when you get saved, now you have the ability to be on fire. But the truth of the matter is, if you're not willing to desire to be on fire and go through the process it takes to catch fire, man, I can throw sparks on this all day long. And I'm going to be honest with you. This was, you can burn this. This will catch fire, but not in the condition that it's in right now. What you have to do when you're building fires, you actually have to take this cloth and you have to put it in the right environment. And I'm digging down. This is, this is the right environment for what they call charring cloth. All right? It's a metal container and it has a hole in the top. And then this is placed on heat. And the longer it sets on heat, the more prepared the cloth on the inside gets giving it now the ability to catch flame where it couldn't before. And it takes place in about a 10-minute span. I love it how the numbers pop all you know, like 10 days in the upper room, you know what I'm saying, and 10 all the way through the bottom. So that cloth I put in here for 10 minutes and set on a flame. And when the flame burned on it, the composition of what that cloth was changed. Now this cloth is something that it wasn't before. And it didn't do anything to become it. It just put itself in the right environment to become what it needed to be. Do you get this? All right. So once the cloth is charred, it's the same cloth. Now I'm going to let you hold this. (laughs) All right. You just hold it flat in your hand. All right. Now I'm going to throw another flame. This is the same cloth put in the right place. For the right amount of time. And now. Right? It's burning. See this? That flame that wasn't able to be caught. Now it's caught. And it will sit here and it will smolder. And that's what God wants to do in your life. I'm going to drop that right there for a minute. It's hot. But see, when you keep yourself. You can get that. By coming to a church service and. 
moving into the right atmosphere. What makes that can the right atmosphere is it's put under intense heat and all the oxygen is removed. When the oxygen is removed, the gases on the inside of there transform it into a piece of charcoal. It's like a paper-thin piece of charcoal. And I'm here to tell you, that's what happens in worship. When you come into a church service and you come into a, a place where you know God is, and you've got these deficiencies in your life that you're sick and tired of living with, that you're willing to get out of your seat and get up front in front of other people, don't matter how broke people find out you are, don't matter how you know bad people are, but you want this thing to change. So you position yourself in front of people and you start reaching toward the presence of God with your worship and with your heart. Man, your hand will start extending in ways that it never could before. Because what happens is your compo- the composure, the components that you are begin to melt and change in the atmosphere and in the presence of God. Because God's an all-consuming fire. And in that worship service, that's not what catches you on fire. That's what prepares you to catch it. And you, in that service, when you move out of that comfort place and you move into a time where you know the presence of God is there and you move to a place where somehow everyone and what everyone else thinks melts away and it's just you and God and you're reaching to God as hard as you can, more than you have ever done it before, what happens next is this. God takes a step towards you. Pastor Stephen preached it last week. He said, you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. And what takes place is the life that has been prepared now comes in contact with the spark and the fire of the presence of God. And when the spark and the presence of God happens, boom, power begins to be released. Fire is raw power of transformation. You take anything and put it in fire and raw power transforms it into something it wasn't before. In the fire is where things are formed and made that were unformed and unmade before. It's in the fire things are purified. It's in the fire that things are... See, and God, see, is this fire. Most people don't understand this, and so they want God to come put their hand on them, but they're not willing to understand that if God's hand is fire and it touches you, it's going to change you too, that we don't want the change because fire is uncontrollable. Fire is uncontainable. Fire is not pretty, and fire is not... Um, you know, it's not very uh, pleasant at times because when God gets you on fire, man, you don't get to be in control no more. But what you do get out of it are the blessings and the life that God designed you to live and He's already put in your heart so now that your hand can carry. But the truth of that, you said it's been sitting there moldering for a while and it's not really impressive. Probably just going to stain the floor. But the truth of this is this, because that fire was never meant to burn with revival by itself. If I take that same thing, if I take that same thing, I take it, I take one, I should have thought this through. Colin, will you grab me a trash can? (laughs) With a little water in it. (laughs) Should have thought this thing through. Okay, if I take it and I throw just one little spark on it, And I take it, and I add it to just a couple other lives. You could call it the two or more. That are there for the same reason, doing the same thing. I put them together. This fire gets hotter. It gets hotter. And then I take it, and the truth be told, you actually put it in with some 
that maybe weren't here to get on fire. They're just here. But because the two or more have already moved into this place of preparation, the Holy Spirit will begin to blow. And when the Holy Spirit begins to blow, the hand of God begins to touch. And was what was once just a little bitty spark begins to burn and transform everything that's in this room. And if I let this blow long enough, if I let this move around long enough, it would eventually combust into a large fire, but I'm scared the sprinklers are going to go off. And it would eventually, if I let it build and burn in here long enough, it could burn every person in this room and burn this building to the ground. Because see, God's an all-consuming fire. And we want God to change things, but we don't understand. We got to touch Him. We got to be the one that does the reaching. And the reaching is what allows the supernatural to take place. And when you just stretch out toward Him, He starts releasing power in you. And when the power is released in you, what you couldn't do before begins to transform in your life because it's not about you anyway. It was about what God designed you to do and He gives you the ability to carry. But you can't do it without Him. And so the most important thing I can do for my marriage is I can get into the presence of God and reach toward Him. Because it makes me the husband that I could not be before. The best thing I can do for my finances is get into the presence of God and reach toward Him. Because I don't know how and don't have the ability to, but the Bible says if He can give me the power to gain wealth. And I'm here to tell you, I'm not a broke man. I got some money in the bank. But I used to be broke, but I'm not broke no more. Because the power of God, I realize wherever I touch God at in my life, the power of His fire will consume that area. And He turns beauty from ashes. Anything He can get, you can get touched in your life to the presence of God, it will begin to turn pretty. It will turn beautiful. It will be something that the world would say, how can I get that? Where can I get that? Where can I have God do that for me in my life? My time says zero. I, I want to close real quick. And God's really wanting to set you on fire. It's not gentle. It's not comfortable. It's not controllable. But it is complete. It is whole. When He does it, it will be right. And the life of a believer understands this. It's not tomorrow. It's now. The Bible says, now faith is. Anywhere in my life that is not what God says it should be, is my responsibility to reach toward God in that area. And right then, instantaneously, the minute I get God's fire in my life in that area, His presence at work for me there, it begins to be now. Quit waiting on your healing. Touch God now. Because now faith is. Quit believing God for a better job. See, fire, there's several things. It illuminates. That means it convicts. And that's not a bad thing. I used to hate being convicted. Now I love it because what that is, the fire of God touching me, saying, Cricket, this thing in your life is what's keeping you from being able to touch me 
and me set that part of your life on fire. So let's move that out of the way so that I can turn your life into what a believer's life is supposed to look like. So the fire illuminates. It also delivers. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went into the fire, the only thing that was burned up was the thing that was holding them bondage. They went into the fire and come out free. That's why I love fireworks. That's a sign of freedom. I love where God can set those areas of my life on fire because it's a sign of freedom. Man, we shot fireworks last weekend because that proved that we are free as Americans. Man, we should be shooting fireworks in here today proving that we are free and we're believers and our life is everything that God said our life should be. But until we get to the place where we're willing to... You know what the cool thing, guys? You know the coolest thing about fire is? It attracts. That's pretty cool. Have you seen my wife? She's hot. She's hot. I mean, I'm telling you. And this couldn't get that. But what she did was she realized that I was someone that desired to touch God. And it attracts. The greatest thing a single person can do is pursue God. And get, keep their life in a place where they can reach toward Him. And it's a matter of time. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And all these things will be added unto you. Man, when you get on fire for God, you start attracting those things that your heart desired in your life for. i got to be honest with you. You know, the, the good things I have in my life aren't from skill, talent, or ability. They are honestly from a desperate time in my life where I had to get a hold to God. And God transformed what was withered into what I have now. And I've decided I'm not going to quit chasing Him until He transformed all the withered places in my life. So that He can be and I will be something that he can put up in front of everybody and say, look, if you'll just touch me, I can do it for you too. That's what revival is. Revival is people understanding that we are in a desperate need for the presence of God and we're willing to get up and get out of comfort and do whatever, even to the point of impossible. That man had never reached his hand that way before, but because he was so desperate to have God change that area of his life, He tried it anyway, and it began to transform in the trying. When you get into these services, and you get into the worship, and you start reaching ways that you've never felt comfortable reaching out in before, it positions you in a place for God to ignite things and change it all around. But I'm going to be honest with you, not everybody gets it. Fire works, fire warms, fire illuminates, uh, fire consumes. I have a bunch of topics. i got... Too many points to share with y'all, but I want to close with this. Oh, another thing, all right? You know what fire does? A lot of times, we don't want to make a spectacle, but you need to understand something. Fire isn't quiet. It roars. Fire roars. You can hear fire burn. And there's a lot of times that believer Christians are living as Christians and not believers because they're okay being quiet. You know, the Bible says that when the disciples were going across the sea in a boat and a great storm came upon them, it said this, the storm got so violent. Now, if you don't think we're living in a nation right now that is as big a storm as that was, they were concerned for their life. The Bible says they look up and they could see Jesus in a distance and they thought he was a ghost and they were afraid. But as he got closer, they saw it was Jesus. And the Bible said this, it's a very unique statement in the Bible, it says this, he would have passed them by. It's hard to think that God would pass you by, isn't it? You came to church, you got dressed, you look all nice and you're already here, so why wouldn't God do it for you? 
It said he would have passed them by. It said except they began to cry out to him. They started reaching for the presence of God. And when you reach for the presence of God, I don't care how far God is or what direction he was going in. The Bible says he stopped and he turned and he came over and got in the boat with them and gave Peter the ability to walk on water. And that had never been done before. It's the fire of God that we lack in the areas that we're with. And if you are willing to reach out and cry out, this is the revival is defined by fire. What fire is represented by, or definition for fire can be this. It's where you're impossible. It's a position or a place or an atmosphere or a time that when you're impossible becomes possible. And let me tell you, we're, I'm glad the clock, oh, it's, I actually got six minutes. Hey, it says 11.54. All right, let me tell you some of the benefits of fire that maybe you didn't know existed. But I'm telling you, today they're available to you. This is called the benefits of wildfire. This is taken off of the National Forest uh, webpage. It says this, that there's five amazing adaptations of pyrolytic plants. In other words, plants that are made to go through the fire. I'm here to tell you this, you're made to go through the fire. You're made for the fire of God to get into you. Jeremiah said it like this. He said, it is like fire shut up in my bones. Man, anywhere the presence or the fire of God gets, it consumes, but it also breaks out and transforms. That's what I've been praying over, Brother William, that the fire of God would get inside his bones because it's an all-consuming fire and it's going to consume every bit of that cancer that's been trying to take a place where God's will was supposed to stay. But this is what it says. When uh, there are certain plants... That when it goes through a fire, there are plants that are called that have what they call fire-activated seeds. In other words, they there's these trees and plants that produce fruit, and the fruit will never bear young or offspring unless first that seed has been put through the fire, because they're wrapped in a hard husk. And when that fire burns that husk off, then the life for the next generation can grow. And there's some people in here that have been worried about their kids so bad that they don't see any way God can turn it. You want me to tell you how God will turn it? You get on fire. You get on fire. And it causes seeds that could not grow to begin to live life again. You say, well, Craig, I just don't believe that. Well, go talk to Aaron in the Old Testament. His dead stick produced fruit just from sitting in the presence of God one night. The fire of God can transform your kids You say, well, God, send the fire on them. No, you get on fire. Because fire also is contagious. Me and my girls, we were watching on reels where this guy had a a house. And uh, he come out and on the reels, he walked up. He had a rat and a glue trap. And he said, I got him. And he walked over to a fire and threw that rat and that glue trap in that fire. And we didn't know why the video kept going, but kept watching. It wasn't a few minutes later, a fireball jumped up out of that fire and ran back into his garage and then at the end of the reels his whole house was burned down I love the fact that's how God's power works because he can take an old rat that's fallen in the trap of the enemy and you can get put into the fire of God and you don't come out of that fire a rat you come out of that fire a weapon to burn the house of the enemy down I'm telling you I've been that rat for many years but I learned if I can just touch the presence of God 
then I can be transformed and I can go back into what I was in and be lethal to whoever and whatever the enemy tried to trap me with. So there's fire activated seed. There's also thermal insulation trees. That trees that actually have bark that can't burn. So when a fire goes through, they don't they don't ignite, they don't get burned up. They were designed, you were designed. When you get on fire for God, you are designed to go through what the world can't handle, what they go through. You'll walk through the fire. There's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego prove it. The guards just got close to what the enemy had set up and they died. But not them boys, because they were on fire of God. They had the presence of God actively at work in their life. They had been in it and they were living in it. And the fire that destroyed others didn't destroy them. They had thermal insulation. Also, these trees have the ability, it's called re-sprouting. When a plant hits a certain level, there are certain plants that will grow and they will hit a certain level and they can't surpass that level because they just don't have the ability to go through it. When they burn an area off, there are certain plants that now, the burn off of that allows re-sprouting that can go to a higher level than that tree could go to before. Some of you have lost dreams and thought, I have tapped out. I used to know I was going to do great. I was going to be this amazing thing. But now here I am, middle life, and my life has only gotten this far. Man, you need to get on fire for God because there is a process in nature called re-sprouting. And you go get on fire for God, and you will start springing forth, going to levels that you could have never went on without the fire at work in your life. There's another one called prolific flowering. The grass tree is one of those. That if you plant it into an area where there is no ash in the soil, it will never produce flowers in bloom. But if you plant these in the area where there's ash in the soil, they will prolifically bloom and flower, and they can produce more blooms and flowers than any other plant in that region or area simply because there was ash in the soil. Man, I'm telling you, you're saying, Craig, my life just ain't flourishing like it should. Get on fire. God just needs a little ash in your soul to make things beautiful again. It's all about what you are willing and desiring. If you're okay with your hand not measuring up with what's in your heart, man, you can die and go to heaven. Or you can become a believer. And you can believe. Let me show you. The Bible says, you need to, you say, well, I'm just waiting on God. You know, the scripture says this, that nothing is impossible for God. And we, we, we sit there and think a lot of times, well, God, we know you can do it. Do it. Nothing's impossible. This is what it says. It's really saying that it's impossible for God to do nothing. In other words, God's wanting to do something. If you get close enough to God to touch Him, then it's impossible for Him not to get in you and do something on your behalf. It's impossible for God to just sit by and do nothing. He's waiting for you to get to a position where you say, I want you so bad that if you consume every bit of who I am, it's worth it because I want to live the life of more than just living. It's the life of a blunder. I'm going to tell you this one story and we're done. You know, there's people in here today, I know, and this was... When I try to prepare a message, I always try to prepare the... I start with the prophetic side. God, what are you wanting to do before we start writing the message out? And this is what I felt like the Lord gave me about this. Was what God's wanting to do today is He's wanting to change the season some people have been in. You've been in a season for a long time. And you're starting to think this season is life and it's no longer just a season. Bible says that in Daniel 7.25 that he speaks words against the Most High. This is speaking about the spirit of Antichrist or the enemy. It says he speaks words against the Most High. 
it says to wear the saints out. You know what happens when life stays in one season for a long time? You get exhausted. Because every season has worked. But if there's never a change in the season, you get tired. How many of you guys in here feeling worn out? I'm here to tell you that this is your word. It's a prophetic word. It says, it says, speaks words against the Most High to, change, uh, to uh, wear the saints out is what the King James says. And then it says this, to change the times and the laws. If you read that in the NIV, it says to change the times and the seasons. He's wanting you to get stuck in a season and you get worn out there. Because if you can get stuck in a season and get worn out there, what happens is then you just keep repeating the same life and you never go forward. But this is the prophetic word out of this message today. Somebody's season can change today. In, 19, in 1872, at Yosemite State Park, uh, there was a guy named James McClelly. And he was a caretaker or the, the, I guess, chief ranger, whatever his official title was, for the state park. And the way they would do it, it would close down in the old days for the winter season because it was treacherous and people would die. But what he would do on the opening of spring is he would go up to Glacier Mountain and he would start a fire up on Glacier Mountain and let it burn all day so that people would know their opening. And then at the end of that day, he'd walk up to it and kick it over the side of the mountain. And that was called the firefall. Well, it got to be such a thing that they quit letting him just do the little fire. And all year long, in the state park, they go and stack all the dead trees and all the dead brush and all the dead debris up on Glacier Mountain. And then when winter season comes, you know, everything pulls back there. But then when it's time to open the park for the next season, they go and they light all that debris on fire. And then they take bulldozers and they come and push it off the side of Glacier Mountain. And that's called the firefall. And it's become such an event over all these years now that every year on the firefall, thousands of people gather at the state park to watch the firefall. They call it a firefall because it looks like a waterfall on fire coming down the side of a mountain. And they gather, and on the opening day of the season, they all start yelling, let the fire fall, let the fire fall, let the fire fall. And at the end of that day, they push that fire off, and it rains down that mountain. You can Google it and look at the pictures. It looks like water falling off of a mountain, but it's pure fire. And they know the season has just changed. And now, what they are wanting to go in and do is open for them. I'm here to tell you, somebody needs a season change. And you've been waiting for the season to change. You need the fire to fall in your life. You need to get to a place where you can touch God in a way you've never touched Him before. And it's not going to be done where you're sitting or how you've been doing it. You're going to have to be desperate enough to get up front and let people see you reach out to touch something greater than you. And when you do the reaching, He does the stepping. And when you get to that place where contact is made, you're combustible. He made you combustible. You're flammable. You just got to be willing to be a pyro, what is it called? A pyromaniac. Somebody that has just such a desire to see something on fire that you'll do whatever it takes. Amen? I believe there's fire available today. I believe going on into the rest of this revival that it will change the outcome of this season for you if you can just get yourself to a position and touch yourself. Cricket, I've done that before. Well, the disciples, 
It took them ten consecutive days before they were set on fire. The Bible says tongues of fire came up on their head. They were all set on fire. And you can't find anywhere in the rest of the scripture from that point, any of them regretted it. You may have to come every revival service during this season. But I'm telling you, it'll be worth it. You might have to come on a Wednesday night, even though it's in the middle of your work week. Why in the world would they want to go? But it's worth it. You getting to a place where you touch God. The power of His presence is what gives you the ability to live the life that you know God can let you live. You're not going to do it without it. And it's going to take you wanting it bad enough to get up front and do it. But when you do, I'm here to tell you, man, life ain't never been the same. And so the way we're going to close is this. Maybe you're here today and you not even did the first part of that verse where it says, I come to give life. You've never even given your heart to God. So you don't even have any idea about what I'm talking about here. Man, your fire starts right there. You just accept Jesus as your Savior today. Man, and your fire is lit. It's lit. You know what I've learned about in my life is this too. God says, you are the light of a world. city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. It says, no man puts a candle on a stand and covers it with a bushel. I was that the other day, and this is what I felt like God told me. See, that candle on a stand means light. So, no man puts himself on the stand. So that means God is looking for people that will get on fire that he can put up on stands that other people can see. My job is to make sure I get set on fire so he can start putting me in positions that other people can see. Promotion comes from the Lord. You've been waiting to get your bump? Man, you better get on fire and you can't, can't nobody keep you from getting bumped up because no man puts a light on a shelf. Only God does. So when you touch God and get on fire, man, promotions begin to happen all around you without you even putting effort to it because no man can do that for you. Only God can. So I'm going to ask Mr. Stephen to sing a song. If you're here today and you've never started that fire, you've never accepted Jesus, I want you to come up here and I want to pray with you because the minute your candle's lit, God starts putting you up on stands. He starts elevating your life in all kinds of different places. But if you're here today and you say, Cricket, man, I know exactly what you're talking about. I've been here and i got so much in my heart, but there's so much in my natural that can't carry it. And I need the presence of God to encounter me in this area and transform it. I'm going to give you an opportunity to position yourself in a place that's uncomfortable for you. I don't know what that is. But to position yourself into a place of uncomfortable and you move yourself into a place where you are reaching toward God in a way you haven't done it in a long time. I want to read a scripture to you out of the Message Bible. And you say, well, Cricket, well, why do you got to do it that way? Because remember I read you that scripture in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29. Can I read you what 28 says? Out of the Message Bible. This is what the Message Bible says. Do you see what you've got? In other words, have I been clear enough today explaining to you what God can do for you? This is available for you. That withered area of your life can change. It says this, And do you see how thankful we must be? It says this, Not only thankful, but check it out. This is the secret. It says, But brimming with worship. That's pretty cool. So he just told me, All right, Do you see what's available? 
And for me to get there, I need to be brimming with worship. All right. And then he says this. Deeply reverent before God. For God is not an indifferent bystander. In other words, he's not a respecter of persons. And he's just not going to stand by and watch you make effort to get close to him without him getting close to you. Then it says this. He's actively cleaning house. In other words, when you get into the fire, he begins to purify you to where whatever it is that's been keeping you from being on fire for God, he begins to work on and get out. And it says this. He says he is actively cleaning house, torching all that needs to burn. Man, I tell you. I'm going to ask her, do you need to burn today? Do you need to be on fire for God so that He can begin to work on your behalf? Then check this out. He won't quit until it's all cleansed. He's not going to quit until your hand can reach as far as your heart says it can. And then this is what it says. It says this. It says, for God Himself is a fire. So He just told us how, where, when, and what we got to do. To make our hands align with our hearts. So Pastor Steve's going to lead one song. There's not going to be any other committal or close. I'm going to open up the front. If you are on fire as you want to be, the doors, it's okay. You can be dismissed now. But if there's an area that you know you need God to consume and burn and give you the ability to transform into what He's created you to be, you long for a believing lifestyle to live the life that God has created us to live. Man, I'm going to make it opportunity for God to set you on fire. If you need Jesus and you've never lit that fire, I'm over here. I want to pray with you. But Pastor Stephen, take us into the presence. Give us an opportunity to touch God in a way we've never touched Him before. You guys, I'm going to open it up to see. As the Spirit was moved over the water, Spirit come move over us. Come rest on us. Come rest on us. Spirit was moved over the water, Spirit come move over us. Come rest on us. Come rest on us. Fire wind come and do it again. Yeah.